What a great way to wake up. With a cup of logic, reason, and common sense. Welcome to the Independence Morning View. Let's get to it. Good morning to you wherever you are in the world. I'm Johnny Anderson. I'm joined this morning by Bruce Adams. Good morning, Bruce. How are you this morning? Good morning. Uh, yeah, healthy alive. Uh, did a little bit of uh, shopping today. Shopping? Uh, yeah, yeah. House shopping. Uh, we're oh, in the yeah. process of trying to find the you know new new place. So. Uh huh. How, how's that yeah, going? Yeah. Um, the market is really well here, which means. Um, you know, people are moving from big cities to to these rural rural areas, right? Which means houses go on the market and sell really quickly. So the selection is kind of piddly <laughs> right now. It's the off season, so you know. But yeah, it is what it is. It is what it is. So today we're going to talk a little bit about election stuff. We're going to have Marty on this afternoon. We're not going to get too deep into it this morning. There are a couple of things we're going to talk about, though. You wanted to start with Andrew Cuomo, didn't you? Sure. We can start with Cuomo. I just seen something in the news and was like, oh, it's Cuomo. Uh, Why not take a crap on him today? No, it's according to him. He says it's bad news that a vaccine has potentially been developed two months before Joe Biden takes over. See, they're playing party politics even with a vaccine. Now, to be fair, that that quote sounds a little worse than what he was really saying. It's no, it it is actually that bad. Basically, what he was saying is um, in the video, he says, uh, it's bad news because it'll be the Trump administration setting up the policy or the plan to distribute um, this vaccine. So in other words, what he's saying is Trump is probably not going to do a mandatory vaccine, which uh, that would, I mean, going mandatory does not fit in with him. And what Cuomo is probably alluding to is that Biden would do. Um, I haven't been able to listen to the entire clip. Yeah, I have it here. He's uh, he's sitting down with uh, George Stephanopoulos. Oh, excuse me, Stephanopoulos. Um, <laughs> you like that? That's <laughs> good. So let's play it. Let's uh, let's give it a listen. Let's listen to the guy here. Hold on. It's a vaccine distribution in the next two months. What do you make of this news? Uh, well, it's it's good news, bad news, George. The good news is uh, the Pfizer tests look good and we'll have a vaccine shortly. The bad news is uh, that it's about two months before Joe Biden takes over. And that means this administration is going to be implementing a vaccine plan. The vaccine plan is very important and it's probably the most ambitious undertaking undertaking since. Uh, uh, OK, first and foremost, no, nobody said that Joe Biden's going to take office. That That's that's. Point number one here that needs to be made. Okay, let, let's continue on. COVID began. Uh, just to put it in focus, uh, we did 120 million COVID tests in this nation over seven months, scrambling, doing everything we can. We now have to do 330 million vaccinations, maybe twice. All we do. Uh, my state. All, all, all we do. We we have to vaccinate every single person in the United States, maybe twice, maybe twice. Uh, maybe and, twice. and how? Maybe twice. And, and how are you going to do that, uh, Governor? How are you going to do that? Are you going to are you going to force it on people? You going to you going to time down? Fauci even said something along those lines in the early days about making a vaccine a vaccine mandatory. That will start a shooting war, and they know it. They know it. 
Uh, yeah. So, uh, God, time because of because of the time framing and everything and all this, we should, it would have been nice to know this when we were talking about this in the afternoon show because you were talking about how are they going to have the unrest and the riots. There you go. It's a good way to do it. It's a good way to start a revolution. It's a good way to get us to give him a stab back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, from where I'm sitting, and I'm, I'm not calling for anything. I'm not calling for you. I'm not that kind of person. I, I believe in justice. I, I believe in in the law. And I believe these people need to be brought to justice for the crimes that they've committed. But politically and from a legal standpoint, these people need an ass kicking. Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, we'll go. <laughs> to, yeah, I know. TOS, Bruce, TOS. All right, let's continue on with, um, uh, with Governor... Uh, Governor Cuomo here. State does more testing than any state in the United States. We did 12 million tests. We have to do 20 million vaccines. Uh, and the Trump administration is rolling out the vaccination plan, and I believe it's flawed. I believe it, it learns nothing from the past. They're basically going to have the private providers do it, and that's going to leave out all sorts of communities that were left out the first time. Okay, so hold on a minute. You you first say that you're going to have 350 million vaccinations, maybe twice. So that would be 700 million. But then you turn around and say that, oh, because it's going to be done privately, it's going to leave out people. Well, you don't leave out people if you're going to if you say two sentences before that, that you're going to vaccinate everybody. You don't you don't do that. What he's alluding to here is, is that make this something that you do with your doctor. Make it something the Trump administration is saying, make this decision with your physician. Cuomo's saying, have the state do it. Have the military do it. Have the government do it. That's what he's saying here. Basically, they want to give you a stab at gunpoint. It's basically what he's alluding yes. to. Uh, when COVID ravaged them. So what needs to be done that the Trump administration won't do that President like Biden could do? Yeah, the, uh, the the Biden administration, when you deny uh, when you deny a problem the way Trump did, uh, oh, you can never God. solve it. And that's oh. uh, true in life. The Trump administration <laughs> denied covid. So they were never ready for it. There was no mobilization of the government uh, and they're still doing the same thing. They're going to take this vaccine and they're going to go through the private uh, mechanism through hospitals, through. All right. Uh, all right, drug- all right. I, I, I can't I can't listen to any more of this. That that's enough. Yeah. That's enough. Yeah, that's enough. Yeah, come on down to Chinatown. Get you some dim sum. Have a dim sum. Th- this is not a this is not yeah. a virus that the uh, that you know it, uh, you know it's not something that the the American people at this time should be worried about. Is isn't that um isn't that how it goes? Obviously, you need oh, to geez. take it seriously. Oh, we and do. Do the kinds of things that uh-huh. the CDC and the Department of Homeland Security are doing. Uh-huh. But this is not a major threat for the people in the United States. And this is not something that the citizens of the United States right now should be worried about. OK, so see, clearly, clearly right there. I mean, that's uh, he, he said it best right there. Yeah. And at that time frame, at, at that point, they were telling us not to wear masks to essentially go back to life as normal. Just, you know, wash your hands a few more times than you usually do. That's what they were saying at that point in time. So uh, who's the one that was problematic here? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So anyway. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving along. Seriously. Uh, do, do you do you people think that that the average person out there is that naive? I mean, it's, it's, seriously, you, you people are so transparent. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It, it's absolutely ridiculous. Anyway. All right. Moving right along. Speaking of crazies, speaking of lunatic politicians. 
Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC. She's lashed out the Democrat Party. She's she's not very happy. She, she's not very happy. And she's talking about how it's possible she could leave politics. I, I, I know. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking out there. How on earth are we going to function if she, if she leaves politics? How, how are we going to function when we don't have a bartender to tell the world what to do? How, how are we going to function when, when we don't have this? Well, and, and you ask, well, why is she leaving the party? Well, party's not radical enough, right? It's not, it's not radical enough. Uh, she says it's been extremely hostile to anything that even smells progressive. Really? I, I, thought, I thought Kamala Harris said that, you know, the riots weren't going to stop. They're going to continue on. If you see anybody at a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd, you push back on them, you tell them you're not welcome. How is that? How is that extremely hostile to anything that even smells progressive? Is she, That's hostility right there on its is face. Or, or saying that it's the fault of the Democrats as to why they lost so many House seats and Senate. Like, yeah, I, I think Senate is more or less... Uh, the same number as it was, but they lost some pretty important ones. And we lost some that were, we didn't really care about. They were left-leaning anyway, Republicans. So, I mean, the American people more or less said, yeah, we don't like your progressive BS. We don't like, we like lower taxes. We like living in freedom and liberty. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're kind of on notice there, AOC. She, uh, she sat down with the, uh, I'm trying to do this without crying, Bruce. She sat down with the New York Times and she says that she might depart politics as it becomes more clear that her far left progressive agenda is not welcome in the Democrat Party. Isn't that sad? That, I mean, that, that's so sad. That breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. When asked who, if she considered. Who ahead, are we going to make fun of? <laughs> so, yeah, OK. Well, she was asked if she would consider a Senate run in the next couple of years. And she's, well, of course, it, she'd be a, she'd be a bulwark in the Senate, of course. Of course. I mean, honestly, I could see her as a as a future Senate majority leader. I mean, she she's that much of a of an icon. She says, I genuinely don't know. She says, I don't know if I even want to be in politics. In the first six months of my term, I didn't even know if I was going to run for reelection this year. Well, you, clearly you, you shouldn't have. That's that, I mean, clearly you should. have. <laughs> she says it's the incoming. It's the stress. It's the violence. It's the lack of support from your own party. It's your own party thinking you're the enemy. Well, lady, you are. You are. You don't represent a fundamental threat to a free constitutional republic. It, it's not just that. You represent a threat. And I agree with her on this. She, she is the enemy of her own party. She represents a threat to the long held establishment of the Nancy Pelosi's, the Chuck Schumer's, the Bernie Sanders and the like. Well, maybe not Bernie Sanders so much, but the old the old establishment. She does represent a threat to them because she's the up and coming. She continued, but I'm serious when I tell people the odds of me running for higher office and the odds of me going off trying to start a homestead somewhere, they're probably the same. Lady, don't get our hopes up. She says, I've been begging the party to let me help them for two years. See, Bruce, she has the answers. Yeah, she, she knows what's going on. She She's the expert. Well, yeah. She's going to educate. You've seen the Green New Deal. Yeah, she she's going to educate the um, the old guard, the error of their ways, you see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, they're out of touch well, with, with her generation. Yeah. I mean, we've we seen, we went over the Green New Deal. It was going to fix all of our problems. It was going to fix everything, right? And it was, it was going to be such a fantastic thing for this country. It's going to spur yeah. the economy and everything. Yeah. Mm. Like, it was, yeah. Yeah. Now, she says... Uh, she says, that's also the damn thing of it. I'm quoting here. I've been trying to help. You, you notice how the uh, socialist, Marxist, fascist, communist, totalitarians in general, you notice they always want to help you. <laughs> if you notice that, that's a common trend. They always want to help you. See, you're not doing it right, comrade. We need to help you along. 
Before the election, I offered my help to every single swing district Democrat with their operation, and every single one of them, but five, refused my help. Yeah, lady, because you're unpopular. You got elected by, what, 4,000 people in, in your district of, of, what was it? Is it, is it Brooklyn? Is that where she got elected? Is it, is it Brooklyn? I, I, I think it's... Or the yeah. Bronx or something like that. Something one of the boroughs. Like yeah. yeah, it's one of the boroughs. 4,000 people vote for this bartender. Now we got to listen to this old hen. And all five of the vulnerable swing district people that I helped secured victory or are on a path to secure victory. And every single one that rejected my help is losing. And now they're blaming us for their loss. Again, your policies are unpopular. Not everybody in the country is a radical Marxist from a university campus. So I need my colleagues to understand that we are not the enemy and that their base is not the enemy, that the movement for black lives is not the enemy, that Medicare for all is not the enemy. You see how she's mixing all this in there. She, she has to blend everything together. This is what's this is what this is what authoritarians do. They, they mix all this stuff in there together to make it a point where you can't disagree with any part of it. Otherwise, you, you don't get to uh, participate in any of it. This isn't even about winning an argument. Oh, it's not. It's not. And that's if they keep going after the wrong thing. I mean, they're just setting their that they're just setting up their own obsolescence. I think that's what she's doing to herself, to be fair. By the way, could you look up Madison Cawthorn? Did he make it? Uh, yes. He won uh, 54. Good. He Madison Cawthorn. Where's the media on that? The youngest person ever elected beating out AOC, I might add, to the U.S. Congress. Where's where's that talk? Where's that coverage? I don't see that anywhere. What about Kim Klasik in Baltimore? Did she make it? I don't see how she I'm going to say she didn't, but... Really? Oh. Uh, yeah, she didn't. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, that... Uh, there, if you... If you look at the percents there, there was no way she was going to win. Yeah, okay. That's too bad. The, the Dem won 71%. Yeah, okay. That's too bad. Well, I'm glad at least Madison made it. It's, that's That that kid's got his head screwed on straight. Anyway, all right. Also, uh, but yeah. He's, he's also paraplegic, isn't he? He is. He is. But yeah. the kid stood up at the RNC. You saw it. He did. Yeah, that's he right. Did. So, um, yeah, okay. So anyway, AOC, Bruce, she's talking about leaving politics. What are we, what are we going to do? How, how on earth are we going to deal with this fallout? If she leaves, what what are we going to do? I mean, the Bronx and the Queens, man, they're going to be uh, I, I, I don't know what they're going to do. Right. Without AOC there. Maybe they'll elect a, a bottle of water next time. Maybe maybe it'll be better for them. Isn't that what Nancy Pelosi said? She said <laughs> That's uh, what Nancy the, Pelosi the said. district. <laughs> she said the district is so blue you could put a D next to a bottle of water and they would have made it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, on over. to Actually, you know what? Let's let's cover this one. Alex Trebek died. You know, the Jeopardy guy. Everybody knows mm -hmm. Alex Trebek. He uh, he passed away. He had uh, pancreatic cancer. Is that right? That that's correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and he was he was eighty years old. Man, was he really eighty? He didn't look it. He did he not did look not eighty look, years old. He did not look it. He didn't act like it either. Mm -mm. Uh, but that's that's too bad. Um, but yeah, R.I.P. Uh, Alex Trebek. That's I, I remember watching that guy for years on on Jeopardy. And I don't know if the show's still on or or not. But um, it it won't be the same without him. The next astronauts to ride on a SpaceX rocket have arrived at the Florida launch site. So the NASA's Crew One team is ready to fly. Crew of four astronauts arrived at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida on Sunday in advance of SpaceX's second astronaut launch for NASA's. Uh, for NASA this week. Astronauts Victor Glover, Michael Hopkins, Shannon Walker, along with the Japanese astronaut Sochi Naguchi, were all this uh, were all smiles as they stepped off a plane that was parked in the former space shuttle run space shuttle runway at Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Their mission called Crew One will see 
a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket launch with a Crew Dragon spacecraft on an eight and a half hour trip to the International Space Station. Liftoff is set for Saturday, November 14th at 7.49 p.m. local time. Uh, from the pad 39A, NASA Kennedy Space Center for Cape Canaveral. Uh-huh. So she's going to be the first woman on uh, on this kind of a space flight. Is that correct? Uh, probably first woman on a SpaceX launch. Yeah, probably. that's what I, that's what I mean. Yeah, not not obviously not in space, but she's going to right. be the first one on a launch with a private company. Same thing with Japanese. Right. This is going to be a historic yes. first. Right. Exactly. Yeah. This is a, this is a historic one. So they're in. Uh, this would be the quarantine period for them. Uh, they basically quarantine themselves because you don't want them sick going into space because. Oh, you don't want to give them COVID nineteen. Yeah, obviously, yeah, we we can't right. we can't be getting COVID nineteen on the International Space Station. No. Well, and not only that, you don't want the possibility. This is a legit thing. We've kind of talked about it before. When we put uh, craft into space, uh, for example, satellites or or rovers or any of those kind of things, they're actually sterilized before we uh, launch them because we don't want to spread any kind of bacteria or germs or any of that kind of stuff. Um, we, we don't want to, if there is other life out there that is being, uh, let's, let's say it, it's growing or, or you know, evolving, what, what have you, uh, we don't want to be the ones to come in and destroy it or completely alter the, the evolutionary process for it. So, um, we, and we also don't know if there is an alien race out there. We actually don't know what will happen if it's exposed to our our um uh, funk if you will i'll echo gp because he's not here space cockroaches yeah exactly dirty nasty yeah. space cockroaches yeah yes yes that's what it is so um there is that coming up also interesting news about mars mars there's ma- there's mounting evidence for a subglacial lake on mars and they're wondering could this be a possible thing that could host life as you said since you brought that up uh, an article that was originally published at The Conversation, the publication contributed the article to Space.com's Expert Voices Op-Ed and Insights. Uh, David Rothery, professor of planetary geosciences, the Open University, Venus, may harbor life some 50 kilometers above its surface, as we learned a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but now a new paper published in Nature Astronomy reveals that the best place for life on Mars might be more than a kilometer below the surface, where an entire network of subglacial lakes has been discovered. How do we know that? Probably from radar analysis uh, from one of these um, satellites or rovers. So we've actually found non-glacial water on Mars. I mean, it makes sense. If they found glacial water there, it would make sense that there would be some you know, below the surface that uh, could be liquid. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would think that would be plausible. So you're going to have this crazy alien race that lives underground the entire time. You know, you're going to see alien. Um, I'm kidding, by the way. We're going to end up finding an egg or something down there. You know, I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> have we actually have we sent a rover over to where that face is yet? Uh, I think so. I think it's within eye shot of that, if you will. Camera shot. Um, there, I've seen extensive pictures of it from, uh, a satellite and it's just, it's just the way it's oriented and everything. And when the sunlight hits it just right, it looks like a face. So you think it's just a rock that's out there in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I've seen, I've seen, I mean, if you go on YouTube, you can watch the Rover footage in 4k in, in that that's going on up there at Mars. You can see it. Not a lot going on up there. Not a lot going on. Yeah. It's, it's pretty barren. Not not much there to look at it, unless you like rocks. If you like rocks, there's plenty of rocks to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, some dirt, 
bit of dirt to look at as a well. A lot of red, a lot of sand, a lot of red. Um, a lot of red. A lot of, looks like a lot of iron-enriched soil. I mean, that's yeah. what it looks like. Yeah. yeah. So other than that, you know, it's it's pretty pretty barren. I don't know. It's, it's interesting to look at, you know, but man, could you imagine waking up in the morning and you look out the window and that's all you see is the red barren? No, no. <laughs> as a matter of fact, there's, there's, a, there's a screensaver out there that you can actually get this, this, that. And it's it's literally, it's just like the rover footage and then it just kind of rotates in like this room that you would have on a on a colony there. And it's, yeah, it's just, I was watching it the other day and I was like, that's just, that's weird. But um, anyway, it, it goes on. Mars was not always so cold and dry as it is now. There are abundant signs that water flowed across its entire surface in the distant past. But today you'd struggle to find any crevices that you could call moist. There is nevertheless plenty of water on Mars today, but it's virtually all frozen. So not much use for life. Even in places where noontime temperature creeps above freezing, is it really that cold out there? I thought it was warm. No, it's far enough. I mean, it's still kind of in the Goldilocks zone, but it's it's because of the thin atmosphere and being so far from the sun, it it, it is a lot colder there. It says, all right, yeah, it goes on here. It says that this is because the uh, atmospheric pressure on Mars is too slight to con- to confine water in its liquid state. So ice usually turns directly into vapor when it's heated. Interesting. That's that's fascinating, actually. It says it's beginning to look as if the most favorable place for liquid water on Mars is beneath its vast south polar ice cap. On Earth, such lakes began to be discovered in, in, in Antarctica in the 1970s, where nearly 400 are now known. Most of these have been found by radio echo sounding, as you said, essentially radar, in which equipment on a survey aircraft emits radio pulses. Which, by the way, that other drone, it's due to arrive there in a couple of months, right? The rover and the uh, uh, the helicopter? Yeah, it would. It would. Yeah, it would be February, I think, is when it was February, set to, right. to land. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Part of the signal reflects back from the ice surface, but some is reflected back from further below, especially strongly where there is a boundary between ice and underlying liquid water. Antarctica's largest sub subglacial lake is Lake Vostok, right? Uh, Vostok ice core samples, which is where we've mm-hmm. that's that's the study that's out there. It's a peer reviewed paper. You can you can look at it. Uh, the Vostok ice core samples. That is the biggest study that's out there that debunks this whole man made climate change garbage. All of it. And yeah. they just so conveniently ignore that, uh, which is now 240 kilometers long, 50 kilometers wide and hundreds of meters deep, located at four kilometers below the surface. So interesting. So, OK, now now that we have established that it is possible that there is liquid water on Mars. So potentially, potentially, potentially. But let's just say for the sake of argument that it is there. You build a way to extract it. Once the colony is established, you build a way to extract it. Then you can manufacture your fuel source. Is that correct? Because you yeah. need water for that. Hydrazine. Yeah. Hydrazine. So basically what hydrazine is, is quite literally you take water and you separate the hydrogen and oxygen. And uh, the oxygen is your oxidizer. That's your um, basically what allows chemicals to burn. And then you would use the hydrogen to uh, as the propellant. So, you know, you just electrolyze it, split it apart, and there you go. Hydrazine. Absolutely fascinating. All right, we are going to have to go. I, I would love to, <laughs> love to continue on with that for out of time this morning. So we are going to have to go. But thank you for sitting down this morning, Bruce. Thank you to all the listeners. For all these topics and more, please check us out later on this afternoon. Today we're talking election stuff with Marty. Uh, and I hope everyone has a great morning. Bye.